Hello, welcome to the Three Things Podcast. Happy 2020. John Mitchell back. My New Year's resolution is to record another podcast. <laughs> See, it's good to start fresh. Uh, thank you for listening. Glad to have you back. Glad to be back after a crazy 2019 and ready to start fresh. Hope you are too. Looking today at three things about hope. Um, I think there's no better way to, to start the new year um, than with a look towards what we believe about the future and what we're all doing here. So um, glad to be back and glad to have a chance to, to talk about three things about hope today. It's that time of year where we do these New Year's resolutions. It's funny, today it's January 1st. I don't know when you're listening to this. It could be any time, I realize that. But um, for me, it's January 1st, 2020, and um, I know exactly what to expect tomorrow morning when I go to the gym. It will be the busiest parking lot that I've seen since last January. <laughs> you know what I mean. It is predictable what we do this time of year. Um, and I, I went from being sort of glib and cynical about it to really enjoying it. Um, I really do enjoy it. It's the time of year where you go into the gym and you see people wearing like dress pants on the treadmill, um, <laughs> drinking like a full Dr. Pepper while they're working out, um, those kinds of things. And I, I just, I, honestly, it represents hope. It, it, it's that moment that we all need in life. Um, where we realize that things don't have to be the way they've been. Um, and I don't know what it is about milestones. It's a, it's a human phenomenon. It's not, it's not just our culture. This goes all the way back to the beginning of, of when we have a record of humans um, being able to, to think about what it's like to kind of let go of what happened and begin something new. Um, and I think it's part of the reason we do the ball drop, we do the whole three, two, one, happy new year. Um, you know, it comes to this, this sense of, um, is, is there something more this year? Is there something better? Uh, could it be a better me? Could it be a better job? Could it be whatever it is? Um, it, I think it's it, what we celebrate is that opportunity for all of us to come together and acknowledge that there is hope in the world. Um, Top 10 New Year's resolutions, uh, top five New Year's resolutions. Exercise more, lose weight, get organized, learn a new skill or hobby, and live life to the fullest. I love the fifth one. Live life to the fullest. How can you resolve to live life to the fullest? I don't know how that happens. It's not very specific. Um, but, you know, the things that I would like to talk about today are the things that are in my heart um, for for my kids um, for your kids, to be honest, for um, the state of America. Again, I don't know when you're listening to this, but we're in the midst of, I, I say this every time, every every time we have an election cycle, I say that this this could be the most important election, you know, in, in American history, um, which is funny. We all believe that the time we're living in is the most important time in history. But um, man, we're in the midst of a time that needs hope. Um, so today I, I'd like to talk about the need that you might have for it. Um, maybe you'll resonate with my need for it because maybe the most important thing about a new year's resolution is not in keeping it, um, but in accepting that there is hope for things to be different. You know what I mean? I mean, cause I could give you the statistics. I looked them up and then I realized it's a very cliche thing to do. Um, but 
by February, mid-February, the parking lot at the gym won't be as full. Um, and people will have, you know, sort of slid away from what they resolved to do. Um, and you can see that as failure. Um, I, I certainly have in my life the things that I resolve to do every year. Um, but Or you could see that as um, just this pursuit of, of things being different and the cycle of that pursuit and what it means to see something new, um, to see something different, and to go after it. Um, yeah, maybe the most important thing about a New Year's resolution is not in whether or not you keep it. Of course we want to keep it. But, but being able to accept that there is real change available, that things actually can change. If you, if you just type in New Year's resolution funny in Google and look at the Google images, there's, it's just one after another, these cynical, you know, funny comments, but very cynical about just what a New Year's resolution is. It's, it's something that we all expect to, if we're not careful, um, to forget or to, to fail on. So what I'd like to do is talk about three things about hope as you start your year this year. And I, I hope this doesn't sound cliche um, to start January with a fresh start. Um, honestly, it, it is cliche. It's become cliche to, to think about starting over. But don't let the cliche of New Year's resolutions keep you from seeing an opportunity for new things in 2020. Um, and by new things, I, I don't know what I mean by that. I know what I mean specifically in my life. Um, I'm probably not going to tell you all the things uh, that I'm resolving to do in this year, but um, some of them have to do with how much water I drink, all down to the specifics. My daughter tells me that if I want to drink enough water for the day, I have to cut my body weight in half and drink that many ounces, which is a considerable amount of water. And I already go to the bathroom too much with all the coffee I drink. So I'm not sure if coffee counts as part of that water or not. But one of my resolutions is to drink more water and less coffee. Um, and that's how specific some of my goals are. And then I got some really general big things that I want to do. Um, all the way down to, you know, let me record a podcast in January and let's start this one, th one time, one, one thing at a time in January and see if I can keep this thing going for another year. And so I, I don't know what your New Year's resolutions are, but what I'm hoping is that you kind of put them on pause for a second. And it's not about the specifics, the changes that you specifically want to make, but about the way you see those changes. What, what's at the heart of that? Um, and I think it's the word hope. Um, so I'm going to share three things that I've come up with about the word hope that I think will at least make you pause a little bit about your resolutions this year and the way you think about them, or at least they have me. Um, and the first one is that hope is not ignorant. And the deepest part of hope, and at its heart, it is not uninformed or naive. Um, it's, as the kids would say, it's woke. <laughs> hope is the the woke that we're looking for. It's that moment of awakening that at some point our great grandmother or our grandmother we sit with and we realize they they have understood that there is something bigger, that there is something more important than the presence under the Christmas tree, that it's the family and being around the family that is 
is the real gift. And that sounds really cheesy, but the older you get, the more those kinds of statements start to make sense and you start to realize that there's something deeper and bigger. And although it may sound uninformed to have hope, although it may often sound, and especially religious people get blamed and sometimes for good reason for having like hope without reason or naive hope. The truth is at its core, I really believe hope is the most woke thing you can be. Um, one of my favorite pieces of writing in history, and you know, if you listen to this podcast in the past, you know that um, I grew up in the Christian tradition, um, and probably I'm no, no, nowhere near a traditional Christian at this point in my life, but I definitely value the way I was brought up and a lot of the scripture that was that was given to me in my life I may not think of it the way I used to but I still value deeply um, a lot of the rituals and a lot of the things that that have shaped me um, and one of those is from a prophet um, and now I don't know what you believe about God um, but the idea of a prophet throughout history has been someone who is just it's really someone who has brought to the people around them, a different perspective on their life. Um, I mean, it doesn't. It's not just Christians that have prophets. It's not just. Um, it's not just Eastern religions that have prophets. All the way back to um, to the beginning of mankind, there have been these people that have ro- risen up that give words to the things that have sort of been trapped in our souls, um, and we use different things to call them. We, we use different words to describe them. Things, sages, um, gurus, um, senseis, different things. I, I think that we mean the same thing, that this is a person who sees things differently than we do. And in, in my tradition, um, growing up in my the, the faith tradition that I grew up in, there was a man named Isaiah who just saw things different. Um, he was right in the middle of um, what the the Jewish culture would would consider to be their heritage, um, right in the middle of the Israelite culture, and no matter what you believe about the Bible um, and the stories that are in it, one thing you can't miss is the ancient hope um, that that sort of seems to find its way through all the writing. Um, and Isaiah is one of those ancient writers who was woke before his time. He was seeing things differently, and he was pointing things out in a way that was disturbing. Um, and like many prophets, like many people who kind of see things differently, um, he paid the price. But his words um, live on, and they endure throughout history because we can't quit thinking about him. We can't, we can't quit reading words people like Isaiah have. And I think the reason for that is because of this real, tangible, um, informed hope inside of him that is connected to something very real, but something very big that we all feel. Isaiah, in one of his writings, um, he, he often speaks when he writes um, on behalf of what he would call to Yahweh, um, which is is the creator, the um, the sustainer. There's stories in his faith tradition about 
Yahweh choosing um, the group of people that that um, he associated with to you know to to be his people and the the interesting thing about the whole story no matter what you believe about the faith tradition is that this was a man who came in and spoke up for a group of people who were oppressed who were poor who were downtrodden um, and the way he spoke to them was not just this sense of empowerment it was that there there is something available to them that doesn't cost money, that is as available to the poor as it is to the rich, that runs through the the veins of existence of humans. And so he, he uses phrase like this. This is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. At this point, he is he is speaking as though he is a channel for this Yahweh or for this, this, these veins that run through the universe. And I think it's important we, we, we stop for a minute because there is a very, if you're listening to this in America um, or anywhere in the West, I know I've got some listeners um, in the East too, but if you're listening to any, to this in the West, there is a presupposition or a, uh, a picture that you have of God potentially that is not the same picture that Isaiah had. And if you if you listen to a writing like this with your picture, your Western American 2020 picture of God, you will miss out on on the hope and on on what he's really saying. And so, you know, the the picture that many of us have developed of God, I think, is of this white-haired grandpa figure somewhere that we can't see and that is not at all the way um, Isaiah and his faith tradition would have seen Yahweh Um, the way Isaiah talks about the creator and the divine is as though that the divine is among us that um, the divine isn't somewhere else that we don't have to somehow summon God but that he or she or it, whatever pronoun you give it, um, that it runs through the veins of our very existence. It is where we are. It is in our life. It is in our grocery stores. God is in everything that we are. Now, before you you feel like that's too um, too humanistic or too... Uh, ethereal, the truth is we have westernized an understanding of God that just isn't um, the way that Isaiah saw it. So whatever you believe about it, it's important that you understand the way Isaiah sees, sees, sees the divine is not as a person, but as a force that is in and among and around and available to all of us at all times. So he says, I'm speaking on behalf of not of a grandpa in the sky, but on behalf of that thing that we all have a sense is at the bottom of everything. And he says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the things of the past. And then he says, and he, remember, he's speaking on behalf of, of the veins of existence. He says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Am I making, I, I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me. 
the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I mean, it's poetry. It's, it's a voice from the past that speaks of the divine as though um, it's not something we have to uh, earn or have some sort of exclusive access to through prayer or through meditation, but as though this is an existing and available to us on a daily basis throughout our life regularly. And that when we see a hope, and in this case he uses um, the, the water to represent hope, he often, throughout all of, of writing, not just in the Bible, but throughout all of poetic writing, water is a symbol of like peace and hope. Um, for a lot of good reasons, but this sense of of water running through the hills and the animals acknowledging it, and this this good thing representing the hope that is everywhere, and, and what I love what Isaiah says, he says now it springs up, it's everywhere basically, and then he, then he asks this question: Do you not perceive it? The question is not is there hope. The question is, do you perceive it? And from from thousands of years ago, from beyond the grave, a man comes to us in 2020 and says, hope is real. It is not uninformed. It is not ignorant. It is not inaccessible. It is not somehow only for the rich, for the privileged, for the Western world. Hope runs through the veins of our very world and our existence. And it is not our responsibility to create it. It's not our responsibility to somehow summon it, but to, to drown out the cynicism around us so that we can simply perceive it. And when we do, there is something that happens in us where hope leads to something else. It moves us into an opportunity to change who we are and move to, to something better. In, in our world, for me, what, what it means is it means, it means in every conversation, it, whether it be at work, whether it be around my dinner table, whether it be at the gas station pump while I'm talking to the guy pumping gas across from me, that I would just, I would be the one to notice the streams of water that I would be the one to acknowledge and point out the hope and the positive around us. You know, the, the name Isaiah, I love this, the name Isaiah literally in Hebrew means God is salvation. And that word salvation has been so colored and so um, just demeaned, honestly, by our culture. But it, what it would have meant to a poor um, potentially, you know, first generation, second generation slave would have meant, it would have meant hope, would have meant that, that this person represents hope. His very name, the name Isaiah would have, would have made people perk up a little bit. And so the first question I've got for you and, and one of my New Year's resolutions is, could I get to 2021 in January and feel as though the people around me, um, when they hear my name, or when I walk into a room, I'm representing hope. I'm bringing it with me. I'm acknowledging it. And, and the way we do that, there's this sense of uh, it is so easy for us to 
to do the opposite. Um, you know, cynicism has become the language of certainly my generation and in some ways the next generation as well. And it is so easy. Um, cynicism is lazy living. Um, just pointing out the negative, um, laughing, creating jokes out of cynicism, which I have been guilty of in my life um, and struggle with on a regular basis. Those are easy laughs. Those are uh, cheap laughs. Um, pointing out cynicism is the cheap way of, of looking like you're smart, um, but it is the most ignorant way you can live. The, the woke way to live, the the way that brings um, brings us to something new as a culture, as humanity, is to do the opposite, to represent whatever is not cynical, to represent whatever brings hope in the world. So as you as you think about this, this the way you react to people, the way you um, read the president's tweets, I don't want to get political, but the way you think about the media right now, the way you talk over coffee to your friends about the, about the culture and about America and about our politics and about all the things that go around us, when you choose cynicism, you are making a theological statement. What you're saying is, I don't believe that there's something bigger than us, that things are out of control, that no one is in control of this thing, and that, that hope doesn't really rule, that it's not strong enough. Um, over the vacation time, my family and I went and saw Star Wars, the latest Star Wars movie, um, and I, I knew I was going to do this podcast. I was kind of writing it and thinking about it. And I could not get out of my mind. I need to see the movie again because I kept thinking about the string of hope inside Star Wars. One of the biggest franchises in history um, is driven by this good versus evil, this dark side and light side, the force. Guess what the force is? I mean, in the deepest part of who we are, the writers of Star Wars says there's something deep that we tap into and it's ethereal and some people believe it and they, some people don't, but it, one way or the other, it is the strongest thing in the universe. The very first Star Wars movie was called what? A New Hope. It was, this whole story is driven by the fact that, that the, the author believes that, that at the end, Everything is headed somewhere good. And if we are spending our life in cynicism, if we continue to choose cynicism or participate in cynicism and make those cynical jokes and deepen the conversation about the end of the world, then what we're doing is we, we are acknowledging our belief about, um, about the world and about, honestly, about the divine, that he must not be in charge, really, and that we're not headed somewhere better. The Jesus theology that I grew up with um, is centered around the belief that things are all headed somewhere good, that we're going somewhere as a humanity, that hope is not naive, it is not childish, it's not unaware, that cynicism is lazy and easy. It's the attitude that, that we're headed anywhere on purpose um, that brings us this sense of hope. And truthfully, hope is believing that in the end, Love wins, and that's where we're headed. It's woke. But it's just the beginning of something. And, and that's the second thing about hope that I'd like to talk about is that hope isn't enough by itself. In, in fact, you can, we can all point to things that have felt hopeful that have disappointed us at some point. Um, hope gets a bad name when people act like 
it's enough all by itself. Um, it, it gets, uh, it gets cliche. Um, you end up with, uh, you know, whole, whole bookstores full of posters and plaques that, that, that are these sentiments that almost make some people really mad because they're so cliche that when you see them, it feels ignorant and you don't want to be a part of something that feels so void of action. Um, and it feels just like a sentiment. The truth is hope by itself is enough to move a conversation forward. But without action, without changing something, without moving forward, all it does is, is start to dilute the power of, of the idea of hope in and of itself. The brother of Jesus, James, um, uh, who, you know, no matter what you believe about the Bible, um, it's fascinating, the story. Um, and how it got passed down, and the brother of Jesus, who who ended up writing on behalf of of Jesus, um, he wrote at one point, "Faith without works is dead." Um, which it, it can also be translated that the idea of hope, the idea of believing in something, without actually leading to action, to, without actually doing something about it, without it changing who you are and how you interact with the world. It's dead. It's worthless. It's dumb. I wrote, faith without works is dead. Hope without actions is dumb. It just starts to feel cliche. And so those of us who uh, have a faith tradition and wonder why the people around us who, who didn't grow up the way we grew up believing in something, wonder why they don't just adopt what we believe. The reason is because often hope is just not enough by itself. It takes action. It takes choosing to, to, to do something with that hope, to treat them differently, to represent um, the positive, the optimistic um, every single time. And, you know, I, I can have hope that I'll lose, you know, weight in 2020. I hope that I'll lose weight every January. I can believe in myself. I can look in the mirror every morning and tell myself that I'm good enough and I'm strong enough and doggone it, people like me, and I can lose weight. But if I keep buying Reese's Cups by the dozen every time I go to the store, hope gets neutered. It, it, it becomes neutered in my own mind. It becomes worthless and naive to myself and to those and, and everyone I talk to. While I'm eating a Reese's cup, talking about how I've hoped that I'm going to lose weight makes me feel as though hope is just a cliche. I can have hope that I'll fix all my broken relationships in 2020. I can pray about it. I can meditate. I can pray for the people that I'm upset with uh, or that are upset with me. I can talk a good game. But if I don't put a cup of coffee meeting on the calendar with them, nothing changes. And hope gets neutered. Hope gets a bad name when people use it as though it's enough by itself. You have, we have to represent hope. January 1st is a great opportunity, not just to talk, not just to create resolutions, but, but to create a plan to, to treat humans differently, to uh, behave differently because of who we are and because of, of that thing that feels deep and that runs through the veins of humanity. So hope in its, its purest form, um, hope is, is not naive. It is, it is the most informed thing um, on earth. And, and, but the truth is it's not enough. The second thing is it's just not enough. And thirdly, if you choose hope, 
and you use hope as the fuel for positive change around you. It connects you to the divine in the way that you have always wanted to be connected. One of the things I've struggled with in the last two, three years, especially in 2019, was trying to figure out what place church has in in my life and in my kid's life. I told you that I grew up in a faith tradition um, that, where church was a very important part of it, and I'm really glad I did. Um, didn't miss very many church services in my life. In fact, when I was in high school, I was in you know three every week, um, three services every Sunday, and I was in all of them doing something, serving something, and I'm thankful for all of that. I went into full-time ministry, um, spent a lot of time in church services, and now I find myself um, disassociating with uh, some of the beliefs that um, my na- that I get associated with because of some of the, the churches that I've been around um, and not wanting to be associated with, with the way um, the church either acts or believes. Um, and, and I'm wondering what, what role it plays in my life and in the lives of my kids. And, and in 2020, I, my wife and I have talked a lot about resolving that, um, starting to figure out what role it does play and and stopping conversations that sound cynical and that start from a place of bad mouthing the church, or um, and start to to think about um, the the church in terms of hope. There's no easier place in my life um, to get trapped by cynicism and conversations, and even lead conversations. I've done it over and over in my life um, about the church and about religion and about even religious people and faith, um, man, my, my tone becomes cynical. And those of you who are listening to this, um, maybe who feel a lot the same way I do, um, maybe this is the year. Um, maybe this is the year that we choose to see the streams of water in, in churches and in, in people of faith who mean well that we um, not ignore, but that we tone down in our lives um, the junk that comes from, from church, and we begin to see um, the hope. When, when we choose cynicism, we begin to disagree with the most powerful force in the universe. And it it leaves us with this bad taste in our mouth. Um, that's, it, it feels like we're living life uphill. Because at the deepest part of existence, including our souls, what I really believe is that we're headed somewhere good. That there is hope. And that love wins. And that the divine is leading us somewhere. And when I choose cynicism, I'm living uphill. I'm disagreeing with that sentiment. And it's a theological disagreement. And in the end, the divine wins that argument. <laughs> so if, you're, if you've struggled like I have with what role church plays, I'm, I don't have an answer for you. I don't have an answer for myself. I'm still trying to figure this out. But I know one thing that has to change in me, and maybe it does in you too, is that I have to stop cynicism in every aspect of my life. 
because it's living life uphill. The truth is hope is everywhere. It is everywhere. That's what Isaiah says. It's springing up everywhere you go. The, tr- the question is not whether it's there. It's whether you choose to see it and then whether you will do something about it and with it. It's about what you choose to watch, what you choose to listen to, what conversations you participate in. It's about what you laugh about, how you talk about people, and what you ingest as a human. You know what I mean by ingesting. You know, I've got satellite radio, and I love comedy. Um, I'm a public speaker, and I'm fascinated by comedians and how they prepare and how they deliver and how they u- use comedy in the audience, and I just love it. And I, it's almost a case study for me. And I, but for some reason, the stuff I laugh at the most is the stuff that's cynical because it's the easy stuff for me. But I, I found myself in a place where I, I've got to stop listening to that. I've got to start filling my life, my head with songs that bring hope, with stories that highlight hope. Um, my parents used to say when I was in high school, garbage in, garbage out. I didn't understand what that meant. At that time, it meant I had to get rid of all my Michael Jackson tapes. Um, but that's not what they meant. Um, and that, as I'm an adult, I understand that whatever I put in my body and my brain comes out of me. Um, and one of the things that I am resolving to do this year is to listen to things that bring hope. The New Testament, um, Jesus followers, um, one of their leaders said to them, if you want to live life this way with hope, then you ingest whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is good, whatever is hopeful, that you, that you spend your time, your energy, your, um, all the art that you consume, all of the, the things that come into your life, you choose optimism. I don't know what that means for you, and I'm trying to figure out what it means for me. But I do know that if I fill my brain and my heart with mean tweets, dark cynicism, and hopeless media, then I stop seeing the hope. I stop seeing the streams of water springing up, and I miss the divine. So there it is, three things about hope. January 1st, man, it's woke. It is the informed thing. If you're an intellectual, if you, if you tend to lean towards um, intellect instead of just blind faith, um, I don't blame you. That's where I, I definitely resonate to, and, and I'm not... If I'm not careful, I start to believe, especially when life gets busy and crazy, that hope is ignorant. That if I have hope and if I'm driven by hope, that I am aligning myself with a group of people who are uninformed and naive. And that is just not true. But hope is not enough by itself. We have to move. We have to do something with it. Because when we do, it connects us to the divine in a way that we all, I believe all humans, no matter what you believe about the divine, I'm still trying to figure out what I believe about all of it. But I do believe there's something bigger than us. And I do believe that we're headed something in someplace intentional and good. And because that, when I align myself with hope, 
I align myself with the deepest power of the universe. So January, may you never confuse hope with ignorance. May your name be synonymous this year with the thought of a better future to your friends and your family and your coworkers. May you do something in 2020 with the hope you see. May you engage in philanthropy. May you start something new with the hope that's springing up around you. May you see more in this year than you have ever seen before because you've chosen to see and agree with the divine that we're headed someplace good and that love wins. There's no better way to start a decade than living in an agreement with the divine. Let's do it together. Look forward to next time. Thanks for listening.